0: Yay, it works. Okay, cool. Awesome. Hey, everyone.
1: Um, I have with me Julie Sad. Uh, She helps with um, ADHD in particular with women and she uses the kind of keto primal diet as as well as other practices as well too. Um, So yeah. Uh, So how did you kind of, I guess, get kind of started in this or what's kind of your background? How do you get started in this? Um, well,
0: hey Jared, um, thanks for having me on your show. Um, so um, the way I got started, I think, is probably pretty similar to the way a lot of people get involved in, you know, the healthcare field, which was that a personal experience. So um, I was working as an online English teacher, and I was overweight, and I wanted to lose weight. So Um, somehow I heard about the ketogenic diet. I don't even know. I think it popped up in my YouTube feed or something. And so I thought, well, what's this? Let's try it. I tried literally every other diet I've been, you know, fat thin, fat thin, and always stressed about food and always hungry. So eh, I've literally tried them all. What's one more diet going to do? So I tried it, not thinking it was going to do anything. And I dropped 50 pounds like that in just over three months. Wow. Cool. I can wear crop tops again. Hallelujah. But then funny thing happened also, which was that my ADHD basically just went away. I would say it's about 95% gone now. And I thought, well, that's weird. Is that from the diet? It can't be, can it? So I started looking into it and it turns out that I'm not the only one that this has happened to. Um, The ketogenic diet has helped a lot of people with a lot of different mental health issues. Um, And so... I said, well, I can't keep this to myself. This is way too cool. So here I am. Um, and my mission now is to spread the word about this and to help as many people as I can, um, you know, cure is maybe not the word, but reduce their ADHD symptoms through the use of the ketogenic diet.
1: Nice. Nice. So, um, about when, and kind of how were you diagnosed with ADHD?
0: Okay, so um, I was diagnosed in the most ADHD way ever. Um, First, before being diagnosed in my mid-30s with ADHD, I was misdiagnosed with everything else uh, under the sun. I was misdiagnosed with major depression. I was misdiagnosed with anxiety, and I was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so I spent more than 20 years thinking that I was bipolar when I actually wasn't. It's possible to be bipolar and have ADHD but in my case I don't. Um so I was you know misdiagnosed falsely diagnosed with all this other stuff that I don't have and then in my mid 30s a few of my friends started saying you know do you think you might have ADHD and I said no I don't have that I don't have problems concentrating um and the thing is that I never felt like I had problems concentrating. I just was always concentrated on or concentrating on something, just not necessarily what I should be or wanted to be or needed to be concentrating on at the moment. I But I never felt like, oh, I can't concentrate. I can concentrate just fine, just maybe not on the thing that I wanted to concentrate on. So I said, no, you guys are wrong. I don't have ADHD. Thanks, anyways. Um, and then I forgot about it. And then a few weeks later, I was walking down the sidewalk in Brooklyn, and I found a box of books on the side of the road that somebody was throwing out. I said, oh, free books. Let's see what we got in here. And one of the books was an ADHD book. And I thought, well, it's free, whatever. Let's just take it. So I took it home. I started reading it, and I said, oh, oh, oh <laughs> this book looks like it was written like specifically about me. Like, you know, is this like a hidden camera show? You know, like it was, it just described so many things that I just thought were my personality and actually was ADHD. I thought, okay, well now what do I do? I guess I should go to a psychologist. So I went and signed up for therapy and in the most ADHD of fashions, I completely forgot why I had signed up. <laughs> like, I, I was like, Oh, therapy, cool. This is fun. And we started doing like, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And I went on and on with that. And after about six months, I was like, Oh, uh, by the way, I wanted to talk to you because I think I have ADHD. Now, mind you, the therapy was great, but didn't do anything for my ADHD, but did help me, you know, like improve my negative thoughts and things, but you know, nothing for my ADHD and and the therapist goes, Oh, I don't think you have ADHD because, uh, you make really good eye contact. And I said, but, um, I'm forcing myself to do that because I don't want to be rude. Like, I don't want to look at you. I want to look at the books and, you know, I want to like, listen to what's going on. I don't want to look at you It's a face is kind of boring but I'm forcing myself to look at you, but you know, she said, okay, well, here's a a questionnaire. You can fill this out and let's see what happens. So I think it had about 13 questions on it and I answered yes to all, but one, so (laughs) like winner. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, I wound up going to a psychiatrist who then prescribed me with ADHD medication. So that is my long, crazy roundabout story about how I got diagnosed with ADHD. Hmm.
1: Very interesting. Um, So did you take medication for it? Do you think medication is necessary for it? Or what do you think about medication as far as medicating people with ADHD and stuff?
0: Well, um, I think it depends on the person. So I took Adderall in the beginning. I was prescribed Adderall. The first time I took Adderall, I breathed out a breath that it felt like I had been holding in for 30 something years. And I just said, oh my God, I'm so calm. And then I just cleaned my house and sat down and did a bunch of Photoshop. I was working as a photographer at the time. I said, Oh my God, is this what it's like to not have ADHD? This is incredible. And then the next day I woke up with the worst headache I'd ever had in my life. Like I felt like there were knives, you know, and electric zaps and I thought, Oh my God, is this going to be like this all the time? And so I tried it a few more times and in general, I didn't really Feel like that was something I wanted to take all the time. And so then I wound up um traveling for an extended period of time. And so I wasn't really taking it anyways. I had the pills with me, but I think I took them on like tax preparation day and kind of just left them alone. Um, and then I went on Vivance or um, as it's called here in Colombia where I live, Simexid. Um again, I went on decided to go on medication again, and it was a, a real disaster. Um, it gave me a panic attack for the first time in my life. Um, and I, you know, kind of turned into a robot. Like I needed to prepare two to three pages of lesson plans for my students. And I would prepare 50, 60 page documents. And I would say, look, this is what we're going to do today. And they would say today or the whole year. And I was like, no, today we're going to do this. And they were like, teacher, this is like way too much stuff. And I was like, no, no, it's good. It's good. So it almost kind of overcorrected me, even though I was on a very low dose. So. Personally, I have decided that I don't wish to take medication anymore and um I no longer feel that I need to because of the diet that I'm on. It just snapped me out. You know, it sounds weird to use those words snapped me out of ADHD. It's something you're born with, but it just lifted me out of it and it's something that I don't struggle with anymore. So, in my personal case, I I have chosen not to be on medication. Some people really really feel that they need medication and I would never tell them not to take it, then there are other people who don't respond to it at all. And there are people who can't be on it for certain reasons, you know, blood pressure, other contraindications, um, and, or, um, women who are pregnant in theory, they're saying you're allowed to take stimulant medication when you're pregnant, but a lot of women are not willing to take the risk, even though it's supposedly safe. So, um, whether or not you, you know, I think people should take it, you know, it's, I think it's a, a choice. So I think it's a personal choice and I think that we should be given all the options. And one of the options is dietary therapy.
1: Okay. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of later I want to talk about diet, but I was wondering, is there any kind of kind of supplements or herbs? I know I've, I've looked into, I've, I've used it somewhat. I think it's called Makuna pre or something like that Um, Mm -hmm. helps with like dopamine and stuff, but is there any kind of herbs or supplements in addition to diet that you use or recommend or or the help or
0: well let me ask you how did you feel when you supplemented with that
1: um i I mean as far as i don't i don't have adhd but Mm -hmm. it it did kind of help me focus and give me a little bit more energy um i and i've heard it's kind of a natural alternative to kind of i want to say ritalin and Adderall and stuff like that um Mm because that's what i kind of um, cause I'm still dealing with like kind of fatigue and stuff like, and brain fog, but, um, mm-hmm. it seemed to kind of help me out, but I don't, I was just wondering if you've used that or, or anything similar, like herbal. I life.
0: personally, so I'm going to ruffle some feathers. I personally think most of the supplements are BS. Okay. Yeah. Frankly. Um, that said, you know, I'm happy to be proven wrong. I'm always happy to be proven wrong. Um, I was on a, a forum the other day and a lot of parents were saying that they were putting their children on saffron. So I was looking into saffron and I saw a couple little studies here and there, but one of the studies was funded by a company that sells saffron pills. So I was like, mm, I'm still looking to see if, if I think saffron is, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is something doable. Cause the study was like, saffron is as effective as Ritalin. And I was like, is it, like, is it really, like, if it were really that effective, like wouldn't everybody be on it? You know? Um, so in terms of supplements, um, in terms of herbs and things like that, I haven't come across anything that I would personally recommend. The supplements that I take are very, very few. The only one I take with any real frequency is iodine. And that's just, and that's not because of an ADHD thing. It's because iodine is something that is very hard for us to get in our diets. Um, especially if you don't live, you know, by the sea. So I take iodine just because it's one of the few things that's really missing in most people's diets. And then, um, I take sometimes electrolytes, um, sodium, potassium, and magnesium just, uh, because as somebody who's on a ketogenic diet, I tend to need a little bit more electrolytes than somebody on a high carb diet. So I will occasionally supplement with electrolytes. Um, if I'm not getting enough from my food, but other than that, it's focused on the food really. And okay. that's what I encourage people yeah. to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, kind of like, um, I-, I know your keto diet, but, um, what kind of diets do you think work best for ADHD? Do you think keto or do you think there's anything else out there that helps or is it kind of just keto and primal and stuff?
0: I would think the um, the ketogenic uh, diet is kind of like the gold standard right now. So keto is great um, for ADHD. It was originally um, created as a treatment for epilepsy. And so if you look into it, um, a lot of drugs for epilepsy are used to treat other mental conditions. So it makes sense that the diet that treats epilepsy could also treat other mental conditions. So keto is kind of the gold standard. However, um, you know, some people can go on a paleo diet, which is like, you know, like a primal or paleo diet. And what I have heard from other practitioners is about 50% of people who go on something like paleo, paleo or primal will see some resolution of symptoms. So it will work for some people. So in some cases, it's just getting a lot of the crud out of there, like this kind of, you know, process stuff. But for other people, they really need to be on this, um, this kind of ketogenic diet, which is like a, a diet that kind of mimics, uh, fasting and also mimics the way our ancestors ate as another way of looking at it. Um, so that one works, um, and carnivore carnivore is basically a key, a version of a ketogenic diet, usually depending how much protein you're eating. Okay. Um, it's it, pretty close in macronutrient ratios to a ketogenic diet, except that it's a zero carb diet, but uh, a lot of people have success on a carnivore diet as well, but it's not necessary to go on a carnivore diet in terms of um, fixing mental health.
1: Okay. Okay. Kind um, of related, but how, um, ca- how kind of strict do you need to be with the diet? Is it like all the time or can you take like kind of a, I guess, a break meal or what is it? A a cheat meal? Yeah, cheat meal. That's what, I'll... yeah, cheat meal or cheat day or something like that. Or...
0: So I would say that it really depends what you're doing it for. So if you're just doing keto for weight loss, um, you know, because a lot of people just do keto for weight loss or, you know, to fix kind of some of their metabolic uh, syndrome symptoms, then they that group doesn't need to be as strict in general. Um, those of us who are doing the diet for mental health, unfortunately, especially in the beginning, we want to try to be a little bit stricter and, um, you know, having a cheat meal can really, it's, it can really set you back. Like you can be out of ketosis for two, three days, even longer, um, depending, you know, how much you cheated. So it's, um, it's a little bit tricky because it's, uh, a diet that where, where we want to be in a ketotic state for a decent amount of time, a sustained period of time. And, you know, especially if you're, you know, working with your prescriber to adjust your medications as you may very well have to, if beginning a diet like this, um, you know, we want to have something pretty stable. So I, I wouldn't recommend, you know, everyone is an adult, they can do what they want, but I would not recommend a cheat day, especially and a cheat meal. Not really, you know, if you're having a, a couple little pieces of fruit here or there, something like that. Okay. It's not the end of the world. If you have a, a bite or two of somebody's birthday cake, okay. I'm not calling the cops on you, but yeah. we don't want to really be going all over the place with this diet. It's meant to be, it's meant to keep you in a ketotic state, especially at the beginning. As you move on, we're talking three, four five months later, then you can start to relax and really see, okay, what's the kind of threshold that I need to be at, um, to maintain the benefits that I've achieved. But in the beginning, sorry to break it to you, but um, it's better to be on the therapeutic grade version of keto, which is pretty strict and not to cheat is what I would recommend.
1: Okay, nice, nice. Mm. Um, so do you need to kind of, I guess, kind of track your food or, or like keep macros or kind of track carbs and stuff like that? I know it's, I mean, I've kind of been on that diet, but I've, I've never really tracked it myself, but is that something you do or recommend oh yeah so
0: there are a few different ways to go about it um and so well when you did it um what what worked for you like how what was the easiest way for you to do it
1: um well I've I kind of more did paleo but I kind of know like you Mm -hmm. know what's kind of high carb and stuff like that it would mostly be like probably vegetables and protein and stuff like that and fat and maybe a little Mm -hmm. bit of fruit but um I know for if you're doing keto or carnivore it's it's a a bit more restrictive because you want to get the carbs as low as possible but
0: Mm -hmm. exactly and how did you respond to paleo what did you notice any differences
1: yeah um i mean when i first started i lost uh, quite a bit of weight um Um, you know i kind of some health problems come up but i'm trying to resolve them with some kind of some other things um but i never i've never really used like an app or kind of wrote it down or anything like that but um
0: yeah yeah for paleo you don't have to track your macronutrient ratios that's a little bit Um, less intense, right? (laughs) Um, For keto, um, you know, you're going to hear different things. There's a doctor called Dr. Eric Westman. He's really famous in the keto space. And he says, no, you don't have to track it. Just use my food list. And so he has a list of foods, Um, but he isn't really in the mental health space. He's more trying to help people with their blood pressure, um, losing weight, things like that. Um, When you get into the mental health space, we tend to say, track it. <laughs> cause we, cause we want to be precise, you know, Yeah. um, yeah. we're talking about, you know, the way that you feel and the way that, that your mental health is. So we don't want to be kind of like vague and, and things like that. So I definitely recommend tracking it in the beginning. In the beginning, I tracked everything, you know, in my little app and stuck to my ratios pretty religiously. Now, um, you know, I've been on the diet almost a year now. Oh, it's almost my keto Um, I've been on the diet almost a year now. And, um, I'm, I I don't really track. I track maybe once a week at the most, just to see, Hey, what was today? Like just to see what I'm doing. Um, and I'm no longer on the strictest version of keto. I'm more on what's called like a modified Atkins diet, which is like keto with a little bit more protein. It's still pretty low carbs. Um, so I'm more on like modified Atkins with kind of like a carnivore (laughs) flavor to it. And then I don't eat as many vegetables as I used to. Um, And so I don't feel the need to track if my symptoms ever come back, then I'm going to track first. The first thing I'm going to do is get back and and start tracking and see, and go back on the strictest therapeutic grade version of keto and, and see if that, you know, knocks me back into where I am now.
1: Okay. Nice. Nice. Okay. Um, so I've never really done this, but do you kind of measure ketones or kind of what level of ketosis are you kind of Aiming for. I know there's like different strips that I, I mm-hmm. think you'd be on them, I think, if I remember right. But mm-hmm,
0: yeah, there's the P strips. There's well, here's when I started, I didn't. Um, I didn't track it at all. And then I bought this like breath meter thing on Amazon. And it was like this cheap little thing. I don't think it actually worked um oh. at all. And, but I, I felt like it did. So I was like, oh look, because it was it, it just always said like point zero one every single day. Like, mm, it's like it's maybe not working. Um, So I didn't really track it. And then later I decided to track it just for just for the heck of it. Um, and I got the P strips and I got a keto mojo um blood and glucose ketone meter. Um, And so I really wish I had started and, and tested it um, in the beginning because I'm sure that my ketone levels would have been much higher. Um, what I have come to understand is that if you've been on the diet for a long time, your ketone blood levels aren't gonna be as high cause you're actually using them. You're using them as fuel. So they're not kind of floating around in your blood as much. So I didn't, I haven't gotten these like big dramatic numbers even though my diet is like impeccable. Um, whereas I put my husband on it for a couple of days just for fun and his numbers were super high. And I was like, this sucks. Like, <laughs> this is like not fair. Why are your numbers so high? And I'm like the keto saint and you're like, you just had a Coke like two days ago. <laughs> this isn't fair. Um, so, um, so should people do it that are trying it? I think it's a good idea. Like if you can, you know, the, the devices are expensive. The P-strips aren't too expensive, but it's money. You know, if you can afford it and, um, and you like having data and stuff like that, then it can be a great tool and it can be like a way of motivating you. And if you're totally messing it up to the point where you never are in nutritional ketosis, we're talking 0.5 millimoles um, or above um, per liter of blood, then, then, you know, something's up and you need to reevaluate what you're eating and seeing if you're doing something that's knocking you out of ketosis. So I would say if you, you know, if you can, when you're starting, it's a great motivational tool, but it's not necessary.
1: Okay, nice, nice. Um, So I think I saw um some of my own questions. But do you do you kind of use, I, I guess, like, what kind of like other things do you help with like ADHD? Do you use like, with like creating habits? Or do you like, do meditation or kind of breath work or anything else to kind of help with ADHD and kind of manage it on a daily basis? Or?
0: Yes. I'm pretty funny. Um, I'm kind of like an anti-health coach, um, in that, like, I don't do meditation. I do like most uh, maximum, like 15 seconds of breath work. Like if I need to like calm down, um, if I find myself holding my breath, sometimes I find myself holding my breath when I'm working on the computer. So I'll check in with myself like, Whoa, you're not breathing, breathe. So I'll do little stuff like that. Um, and I, I recommend that for most people I work with, um, I have, uh, I had a therapist, uh, the same one that told me, you can't have ADHD because you make good eye contact. The same one that told me that she told me to use the mind space, no headspace, headspace mindfulness app. I had horrible adverse effects to it. Whereas like to the point where I saw violent imagery, I'm not a violent person. I don't like you know, when my husband plays like Counter-Strike, I'm like, oh, I can't watch. Oh. And I was seeing violent, like murder imagery, blood, like, and I was like, what is going on? And I told the therapist and she's like, oh yeah, other people have said that too. I was like, why are you recommending this? <laughs> so, um. So for me, mindfulness uh, meditation has been an absolute bust, but I know that it does help some people. So if, you know, um, so what I say is like, if you like it, and you can do it and do it. If you can't do it, if you suck at it, please don't beat yourself up about uh, about it cuz some people really like can't or don't want to do it or or don't see benefits from it. So meditation, it's like if you like it, sure. Um exercise is something that I recommend, but not the way that most people think. Like I'm never going to tell you to join a gym. I'm never going to tell you to do a bunch of crunches or push-ups or like no. <laughs> like I think that um if you have ADHD, you have a brain that Wants things to be fun or else, <laughs> you know. And so, if you're doing something that just feels like torture, you know, it's possible you might be disciplined enough to do it, but you're kind of setting yourself up for failure, in my humble opinion. So, I encourage people to do walking, dancing, you know, things that you enjoy. So, I go for a walk every single morning. I haven't missed a morning in almost a year now. Um, And I listen to podcasts and I drink my coffee while I'm walking. And that's my main form of exercise. And then I go to a dance class. Um, right now I'm going to three dance classes a week, but they're not strenuous. You know, I'm not, I'm not like busting myself, uh, at the gym. Like I, like I used to try, um, and I enjoy it. And, and I'm sad when I have to like come inside for my walk. Like I want to walk all day, you know, whereas before I was like, oh, I hate the gym. So exercise that you enjoy, I would say is something, um, Sleep is the alpha and the omega. <laughs> um, when it comes to ADHD, like you have to sleep. And it's um, a vicious cycle because it can be very hard for us to get in bed for many reasons. We might be super hyper at night. A lot of us call uh, consider ourselves night owls. And we get this like sudden burst of energy at night sometimes. And it can be very hard to just get in bed. Um, and the simple act of, of, of having a bedtime routine, getting ready for bed, Seems like it should be a simple process, but if you're somebody who has ADHD and has trouble with these executive functions, like prioritizing, task switching, all that good stuff, just getting ready for bed sometimes, can be hard and just sometimes doesn't happen. So um as a as a person with ADHD, um, I know that I have to really pay attention to what time I'm going to sleep um, and, and do everything I can to set myself up for success. Whether that's, you know, getting ready for bed a little bit earlier than I think I need to, because <laughs> it always takes longer than I think it does. Um, or, you know, trying not to do anything to make me too hyper before bed, you know, trying not to listen to music um right before bed and things like that. Um, all those like kind of tricks so sleep exercise on um, the diet, of course. And then, um, other things are, you know, being intentional with, with your time and your life. Um, you know, how many times do we say things like, oh, I want to, to read more and we don't. So, so finding a way to put that on your calendar, um, or I want to, you know, I want to meet more people, but you didn't really make a plan for how, so adding that kind of intentionality, um, you know, to your life is a big part of uh, what I help my clients with as well. And then um, just overcoming the, you know, the little things like procrastination and stuff like that is a big part of it too.
1: Okay. Nice. 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 Um, kind of diet related, but I, I know um, I do you recommend kind of, I guess, coffee or kind of other kind of stimulants, or do you think that helps with ADHD or do you think coffee is like healthy? Cause I don't, I don't really drink coffee. I drink kind of more kind of like matcha and stuff like that. But um I guess tobacco could also, although I don't think that's really good for people either. But um do you use any of those or do you recommend them or do you think it's good for people with ADHD or
0: Ooh, okay so this is what, this is a, a battlefield here. So um there are people who will defend their coffee to the death, right? Um and so the jury's kind of the jury's kind of hung on a lot of the stuff. So you know a lot of people with ADHD drink coffee. I drink coffee still. Um, I probably drink more than I should. I live in Colombia, and we have amazing coffee. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I probably drink more than I should. And I'm, I'm, not ashamed to, to say it. Um, but a lot of people really love their coffee and, um, a lot of people feel that it helps their ADHD symptoms, but then other people say that it makes them anxious. So it's this kind of delicate balance, you know, um, if it's interfering with your sleep, then yeah, that's going to be a problem because sleep is going to mess you up. If your sleep is bad, your ADHD is going to be worse. So I'm not going to say it's healthy or unhealthy. You know, it's, it's really, you, you really got to watch it. There are some things that, um, that you got to really see what's going on for you. Um, and, and see if you think that it's good for you or not. Um, in terms of tobacco, unfortunately, you know, vaping is not so great for your lungs. Smoking is not so great for your lungs. So there, are you know, a lot of us do feel that nicotine helps us focus, but you know, I can't really recommend it because I can't really think of like a good healthy way to get your, you know, nicotine. Um, and, and it is highly addictive and I was addicted to it for decades. So I just finally got off of it. Um, so I, I I don't know. I know there are people that kind of like microdose it. I don't know. To me, that seems like a slippery slope. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: yeah. Um, I want to know, this is uh, kind of what I thought about, but what do you think kind of causes or contributes to kind of, I know, to like ADHD, do you think it's like genetic or environmental or kind of a mix, especially in women? Do you think um, there's possibly, I don't know, you can cure it completely or kind of, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. So that's another thing that we're still kind of figuring out, but, um, the general consensus is that most of the time it is something that runs in families. So, you know, if you have it, it's, um, there's a, a pretty good chance one of your parents has it, or if you have it, um, it's likely that, you know, that your kids might have it, or if your kids have it, it's likely that you have it and that's actually how a lot of parents get diagnosed yeah. their kids get diagnosed and then the parents are like oh i have it too um so we are seeing that it does run in a lot of, uh, a lot of times in families um and it tends to be you know something that is you know present from probably from birth we're even seeing that um there there are funny things like we're seeing that sometimes the gut microbiome is different in um, in babies with ADHD that later go on to get diagnosed with ADHD. Mm. Um, so we're seeing that, like, even, you know, there are, there are issues in the gut microbiome, which is what is going on. (laughs) This is all very new, but, um, so the general consensus is that it's usually something that you're born with. Um, you know, can things make it worse? Definitely. Um, you know, stress, bad sleep, bad diet, all that can definitely make it worse. Can it be cured? Um, what I will say is just from my personal experience, I would say that I'm 95% better. If I don't sleep, forget it. The next couple of days, I'm back to square one, okay. bouncing off the walls, jumping up and down, nervous, biting my nails off, like, you know, just, you know, doing everything except what I am supposed to do. So, um, cured, I wouldn't use the word cured, but I I would say you can, in my opinion, it can be put under control in many, many people.
1: Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, I think we kind of touched on it some, but what do you think uh, kind of the keto diet kind of offers or is kind of, I guess, better for ADHD and kind of mental health than kind of other diets out there, you know, like vegan or raw food diet and all these other diets that people have that people swear by. But
0: um, um, So there are four different mechanisms that I know of, and there might be even more. Um, let's see if I can remember them all. Um, So the first main mechanism by which a ketogenic diet can help um, ADHD and other mental health conditions is simply by helping out with a, for lack of a better word, busted glucose metabolism in the brain. And so this is the prevailing theory right now. There's an amazing doctor whose name is Dr. Chris Palmer, and he wrote a whole book about this called brain energy. Um, And what he talks about is, you know, there's a metabolism that the brain has, right? Our body has a metabolism and the brain has a metabolism. And so sometimes there's too much glucose going in and there's sometimes not enough glucose going in. And this causes, you know, all the various kind of mental conditions you can think of just about all of them. Um, and so the main way, the prevailing theory right now as to why keto works is because it, it helps the brain by, um, allowing it to run on ketones in, uh, predominantly, you know, instead of, so much glucose, you know, the brain will use some glucose, but your body can make it for your brain and, um, it's not necessary to eat it. So it's not necessary to actually eat it. So one way is that it just helps this, um, it helps kind of regulate the, the glucose metabolism of the brain. That's kind of the main one, um, that's that people are putting their money on. Um, another one is that it can, it's an anti-inflammatory diet. And so, you know, the brain itself can be inflamed and so keto reduces inflammation in the body and in the brain and that can help too um the third one is the gut microbiome so keto does help the gut microbiome and i don't know um how much you know about this but you know that um most of our serotonin for example is made in our gut you know so our our gut is important for our brain it's like uh, they call it the second brain okay. um and yeah, so that's that's that one and then um the fourth one yes i remember them all the fourth one was that it can help with um with the production um of many of the neurotransmitters um so they've done studies to to look at for example GABA levels and dopamine levels and they have shown that people on ketogenic diets have these levels kind of where we want them to be you know not too high not too low kind of thing so those are four different mechanisms there may be more there may be <laughs> you know, uh, other things we haven't even figured out yet. Um, and, and that's why it helps. And, and then you can go further, um, and look at it in another way. This diet was originally invented as a treatment for epilepsy. Um, and the reason it was invented as a treatment for epilepsy is because epilepsy has been, um, known to respond to fasting since the time of Hippocrates. So way back in the day, they were already using fasting to control epilepsy. And so this is a diet that mimics fasting but I would go one step further and I would say that not only does it mimic fasting, um, but it mimics the way that we used to eat pre-farm times, um, which was, you know, high fat content. We were generally eating these big old animals, you know, um, we weren't really eating a ton of carbs. Um, and we weren't eating all the time. We were, you know, kind of eating these big meals and, and then resting in between. So I think it's really, um, a natural way of eating some people say like that's such an extreme way of eating actually i believe that it's a quite natural way of eating and i plan to be on some form of ketogenic diet pretty much for the rest of my life all
1: right nice nice um i want to ask um what is it what are what what do you think people have like kind of i guess misunderstand or kind of misconceptions about adhd especially um I guess dealing with it, but being diagnosed and anything around it, kind of surrounding. What do you think? What do you think about that?
0: Oh my gosh, there are so many. Um, it's one of the, I would say one of the most kind of misunderstood. And um strangely, it's overdiagnosed and underdiagnosed. <laughs> so like, how is that possible? But it's like there are people that don't have it that are being diagnosed with it, and there are people that Have it that are not being diagnosed with it. So we're just kind of messing up left and right here (laughs) with the diagnosis. Um, but there are lots of things. Uh, for example, this idea, what what some parents will will notice about their kids. Like they'll say, um, well, my kid can't have ADHD because he can play video games for 15 hours straight, you know, um, or my my daughter can't have ADHD because she likes painting and she can sit and paint for like four hours. And I actually have to get her out of her chair and tell her to go to the bathroom kind of thing. And so she can't have ADHD. And and that's actually a misconception that, you know, people with ADHD that we can't focus on anything. We can focus on things. And if we're interested in something, watch out. You're never going to see anyone more focused than a person with ADHD doing something that they're really interested in, that they really like. We go into like, you know some people call it hyperfocus it's not like a technical medical term but we all call it that like oh yeah hyperfocus you know so that's something that is misunderstood that th- there's this conception um that we can't focus on anything sure we can um, And and so that's one thing another thing is that a lot of people don't understand that um something that kind of goes with the territory for ADHD is um what's called emotional dysregulation so People think that ADHD is just an attention thing, and it, it's much more than that. Um, uh, people with ADHD, we can have these kind of larger-than-life emotions. And now there's uh, an important distinction between somebody who has uh, something like bipolar versus somebody who has ADHD. Um, in something like bipolar, the feelings will ostensibly come out of nowhere. You know, all of a sudden, the person's angry, or all of a sudden, the person is, is sad, and it, it's kind of hard to figure out, well, where did that come from? whereas in ADHD these larger than life feelings will happen but they generally have to be provoked by something doesn't necessarily mean that the reaction matches the stimulus so for example um you know you're you're in traffic and you know somebody kind of cuts you off and you're just angry about that for hours or it just ruins your whole day or um or you're late to a a, a party and somebody says oh, you're late again and you just almost want to cry and you can't shake that feeling. You know, it's this almost outsized, so let's say emotions for lack of a better word. So that's something a lot of people don't know about ADHD. Um, and there are also, uh, the two different types, or we could even say two or three different types, depending how you want to, uh, work it. There's, um, inintentive ADHD, there's hyperactive impulsive ADHD, and there's combined type ADHD. Um, so we have these kind of three different flavors. Um, the most common is combined type. That's what I have. Um, and then after that comes uh inattentive, the inattentive presentation. And then the least common is just hyperactive. So the most common is combined, then inattentive, and then uh purely hyperactive impulsive. Yeah. Um, kind
1: of getting back to diet. Um do you recommend fasting, like long fast, short fast, like intermittent? fasting um like water fasting or what kind of what what do you do you think that helps or do you think that's like is that a daily or weekly thing or something that it's kind of dependent on the person or
0: yeah it's interesting um the cool thing about keto is since it's fasting mimicking you don't have to worry too much about fasting but um some people do enjoy fasting and they find that it comes to them almost um naturally when on keto um And so that going back to this idea of, you know, should you test your ketones or not? If you decide that you're not going to test your ketones, um, one way to know that you're in ketosis is that you might find yourself kind of forgetting to eat um, or, you know, or it being lunchtime and you're like, oh, I could take it or leave it. Like not feeling this kind of, you know, clockwork, like hunger um, before, uh, like you did before. Um, And so some people do find that fasting comes very easily to them. And that, uh, and that they enjoy it and that it makes their lives easier, you know, less times cooking. So um, I would say that it, it really depends on what works with your lifestyle, um, what you want to do. Um, and I have heard all sides of the story when it comes to fasting. Um, I've heard people say that it's great. It's the be all end all. And I've heard other people say, like, that's too much stress on your body. Um, you shouldn't be doing that to your body or it's gonna, you know, stress it out. So I've heard all sides of it. Um, I do intermittent fasting basically daily. Like I, I pretty much, uh, don't always eat breakfast unless I have something going on at lunchtime. So I, I usually skip breakfast, but that's just, you know, what works for me. Um, and when I started keto, I was doing kind of prolonged fasting. I was doing, um, one 36 hour fast a week, one 24 hour fast a week. Um, sixteen, eight on all the other days, except for Sunday on Sunday, I would eat three times a day. So that's how I did it when I started. Why? Just because, so, um, oh, yeah. my, my answer, because I felt like it. Um, so, so you're going to hear people that say fasting is great. You're going to hear people say not to do it. So, um, I think it's fine if you, if you want to do it. If you're going to do a fast that's longer than 36 hours, you need to look up something called refeeding syndrome and you need to be breaking your fast appropriately. Um, But if it's shorter than 36 hours, um, you're not going to have to worry too much. Just make sure you got, you know, your electrolytes, your hydration, and you should be in good shape.
1: Nice, nice. So kind of, um, I, I guess if someone... Want to ask this but if someone has kind of kind of like an eating disorder kind of a uh, not good relationship with food do you um kind of recommend this eye or how to kind of manage that kind of if they want to do kind of this and they have adhd and stuff like that
0: um in, in the case of an eating disorder it's always 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 advisable to be working with someone who's trained to handle eating disorders. And this is where it gets really controversial. A lot of uh, a lot of people in the kind of standard uh, guidelines will say, don't put anybody with any kind of eating disorder on keto because it's a restrictive diet. But then here's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see people have success um, overcoming anorexia, overcoming binge eating disorder, overcoming bulimia when going on a ketogenic diet. So it's kind of tricky because here the guidelines are saying, don't put anybody with an eating disorder on this diet, but the diet's also reversing these disorders and alleviating these, uh, the suffering in these people that have these disorders. So it's like, you gotta, you know, you have to be careful, obviously eating disorders are no joke. Um, they're, they're serious. They can, you know, can be very deadly. So, um, in that case, I wouldn't say, you know, and no kind of DIY. You want to be working with somebody who is trained and equipped to help you with the eating disorder. And it may be very difficult to find somebody who will agree to put you on a ketogenic diet if you have an eating disorder, but there are practitioners out there.
1: Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, let me see. Um, So I guess I, I've never really heard of it, but um, kind of curious. Um, so what do like, I, I guess, is there like kind of a vegan version of kind of keto diet or is that possible or would you recommend that? Or if someone's like strict about, you know, being vegan and eat, not eating meat and stuff.
0: But. So back in the day, I was a hardcore vegan, like hardcore. I wouldn't even wear leather. I wouldn't even wear silk. Well, nothing. Um, I did that for about 13, 14 years after that, I was a flexitarian. I was I got extremely sick. I had vitamin D and vitamin B12 deficiency. Um, my ADHD was off the charts. Um, I had horrible PMS. I wouldn't recommend vegan for anyone. (laughs) Um, that said it's possible. It's possible to do a ketogenic diet as a vegan. It's not easy, but it is possible. Um, it's, it's easier to do it as a vegetarian. Um, But I, I wouldn't recommend a vegan diet to anyone, frankly. And this is me who was vegan for a long, long, long time. Um, I get where you're coming from, but the, the long and the short of it is that, uh, there are things in, uh, animal products that are necessary for our survival and the supplements will only get you so far. So can you do vegan keto? Yes. Do I recommend it? No.
1: Um. Nice, nice. Um, wondering like, I know there's kind of some downsides. I know like, um, what about like kind of keto flu or um, have you ever dealt with that? Um, yeah, what I was one kind
0: of the that? Uh-huh. I was one of the lucky ones. I didn't get keto flu. Um, and I don't know why. I because I ripped the bandaid off. I went straight into it, but I think my theory is that I didn't get the keto flu because I had already had a little experience with intermittent fasting. Like I already hadn't been eating breakfast for like five, six years. So I, um, you know, I'd gotten kind of used to that, but uh, the first time I tried keto was, um, many, many, many years ago. And, uh, my mom was on Atkins and the induction phase of Atkins is very similar to keto. So I borrowed her book and I was like, Oh, let's try this. And I was on it like a day and a half. And I was like, Oh, well, this is horrible. I hate that. I'm never <laughs> like, what the heck? I, you know, I was like, I'm, I feel dizzy. Like, no, 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 no. So the first time I tried it, I did get, I don't know if it was keto flu, but I just felt like, oof. So, um, here are a couple things about that. And it's funny because when you, when you, you know, when you look it up online, they're like, Oh, you're going to get the keto flu. First of all, the keto flu, it's, it's no worse than the normal flu. Yeah. You might feel crappy for a few days, but that's it. And it's only a few days. If it happens to you, um, the best way to, to try to avoid it the best you can is to make sure you're getting enough electrolytes. So, um, in the big three are sodium, potassium, and magnesium. So you want between three to seven grams of sodium. Yes. I said grams, (laughs) three to seven grams of sodium a day um, between three and 4.7 grams of potassium a day and, uh, between 320 and 400 milligrams of magnesium, depending uh, on if you're a woman, um, breastfeeding or a man. (laughs) so you're going to be somewhere between 320 and 400, um, per day by having those electrolytes in your food or, uh, supplemented that will help a lot with, uh, with the keto flu for sure. Um, but, that said, worst case scenario, you get it, but it's, it's going to be a couple of days. And the thing that's so cool about keto is that like the first few weeks are the hardest, the first, you know, first or, and second week are the hardest. And then that's it. And it starts to get really, really easy. Whereas other kinds of diets kind of start out easy and then get harder and harder and harder and harder when you're like starving yourself or or whatever. Whereas keto is like, okay, this is a switch. And then you make the switch and then it's like, oh, no brainer. That's <laughs> nice, nice.
1: Um, so would you, do you think people, I mean, I kind of did it on my own, but do you recommend kind of working with someone? Cause I know there's a lot involved. You have to change like a lot of the foods and plan out meals and like, like change a lot. Do you recommend working with someone that's kind of familiar with the keto diet or do you think people can do it themselves or what do you kind of recommend? Think, for people you know, I think it,
0: it's yeah, it depends. That's a really good question. It depends on a lot of things. Um, let's talk about a few things. If you are taking any kind of psychotropic medication, um, you at, at the very least need to talk to your prescriber and tell them, "Hey, I'm starting this diet." Why? Um, because there's this thing called potentiation and what that means is that your medication may become stronger like it might just kind of like start working let's say better than than it normally does and so um so that's important to to be aware of so uh you know if you're starting this diet and you're taking any kind of we're talking antidepressants anything like that antipsychotics you want to read the label um And look at all the side effects. You want to make your prescriber aware of this. And if you notice that you're getting the side effects that are listed on your medication at a higher rate than normal, um, you want to talk to your prescriber and see, because it might be time to change the dose of your medication, um, to switch your medication. So you definitely don't want to do that part on your own for sure. Um, If there's any kind of medication that needs, you need to keep an eye on that and have your prescriber be completely aware of that one um can you diy it yes you can um <laughs> excuse me i i diy'd it um and it's possible um so then the question becomes well then why even bother working with someone um so there there are a few reasons you might want to work, work with someone um one is it can give you a sense of accountability uh, a sense of continuity it can help you keep track of time um as uh people with adhd sometimes we get a little confused <laughs> about time the passage of time we might say like oh you yeah, have been doing this diet for forever it's not working and it's been two days right <laughs> um so having uh having a health coach can help with just knowing you know how long have i been on this diet but that's something you can do on your own as well um and then another good uh, reason to work with somebody like a coach um, or uh, a therapeutic diets specialist is that they can also help you with the holistic picture as well. So, you know, working on your behavior change so that you are you know, working on your sleep, your relationships, your other goals in life too. So it can be nice to have another person in your corner. Um, is it hundred percent necessary? No, but, uh, it, so it's not something you have to have, but it's, it's definitely nice to have.
1: Okay. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Uh what do you think about I know one of the criticisms kind of a paleo and um kind of Atkins and Carnival is the cholesterol? Um yeah. <laughs> and like because people think that it's gonna raise cholesterol and you know cause all kinds of cardiovascular and heart problems and stuff like that. Uh, what are your
0: thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay. So here's where this gets, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say controversial cause it's not, um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, the, the idea that high cholesterol, uh, that high LDL cholesterol is bad for us is actually, uh, not true. <laughs> and, um, nobody believes me when I say that, but, um, there's a great doctor that I would recommend. Um, his, doc- his name is Dr. Nadir Ali. And you can find him on YouTube and he talks a lot about this as well. Um, believe it or not, especially if you look at the elderly, um, high LDL is correlated to lower all cause mortality in the elderly, just to, to throw out a population there. Um, so it might actually be quite good for you. Um, statins, the cholesterol lowering drugs that lower LDL cholesterol are the number one prescribed drug in the world. And yet we're not seeing lower instances of cardiovascular disease. So what's going on? Um, the drugs don't actually work because LDL is important. Um, when, when is LDL bad for you? When it's uh when it's damaged LDL. This can be something called glycated LDL. There's also um, LDL that has come in contact with, you know, uh, so glycated LDL is LDL that's come in contact with um glucose. Um, This can also happen from it coming in contact with fructose. So basically the LDL particle gets damaged, it becomes smaller, and that is when it can cause problems. But LDL in and of itself, your body makes 80% of the LDL that's circulating in your your bloodstream. So why would your brain, you know, make something that would give it a stroke, right? Um, LDL in and of itself is not bad for you. And so many people do see their cholesterol go up, their LDL cholesterol, when on a ketogenic diet, especially in the beginning, and especially if they're losing weight. And a lot of people um, will hear their doctors absolutely freak out. Oh my God, you need to go on a statin, or you need to stop this. You need to go vegan. Um, And so I would refer you to um, a great book, which is called The Great Cholesterol Myth. Um, And then this is where it gets tricky because your doctor might tell you no, you can't eat like this anymore. But meanwhile, you feel great you, and you're losing weight and your mental clarity has improved. And you've got your doctor saying, no, 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 you can't do this. So it, it does cause a lot of stress for a lot of people because they feel amazing and their doctor is telling them, no, you can't do this. Um, so so then how do you know, you know, if you're having these problems, you want to look at, at different kinds of tests. So so you can get a test that actually does measure to see if you have these kind of damaged LDL. Uh, particles as one way. You can look at, you know, um scans to see if you actually have calcium, you know, if you have placking in your arteries, actually looking at that, but just looking at LDL cholesterol on its own, it's pretty much uh meaningless.
1: All oh, right, nice, nice. Um, as far as the diet goes, do you think how long before you kind of see results? And do you think this is for everyone everyone on ADHD? Does it kind of take time or does it is it kind of dependent on the person and their kind of biochemistry and stuff or
0: it can depend a little bit. It it's crazy how fast it works. Um, a lot of people begin to see results within the first two weeks. And and it's not like, oh, I just feel kind of it's it's a dramatic shift that you feel. Um worst case scenario, we're looking at three months, but that's rare. And that's usually if um if you are very, very, very metabolically inflexible, meaning that. You just, you're just so used to, to burning sugar that it's hard for you to switch over to being more of a fat burner. But that's a really worst case scenario. Most people at about the two, three week mark are seeing dramatic results. And what happened to me was crazy. Um, uh, I had a huge problem with procrastination. So my biggest ADHD symptom, torture, whatever you want to call it, was always procrastination. And It was horrible. It really affected my self-esteem where, you know, imagine you're trying to sit down and do something and you just do everything else and you don't do the thing you want to do until you're completely exhausted. The sun's gone down and what have you. And so um, the way this showed up for me, um, you know, recently was when I was working as an English teacher uh, on every Sunday was lesson planning day right? So every Sunday I was like, Oh, I hate Sunday. <laughs> and every Sunday I would wake up early and I would try and try and try and try to get my butt in the chair and start my lesson planning. And it would be 10 AM at noon, 2 PM, you know, and the sun would go down. I would get tired. I would be stressed. And that's when I would start. And so I would stay up late, you know, finishing this work because, which I could have, finished if I just started in the morning, like I wanted to. And so then after beginning keto and I wish I knew the exact day, I, I wasn't really paying attention, but pretty shortly after beginning keto one day, I woke up on a Sunday at seven in the morning, sat down, opened my computer worked <laughs> and I finished all my work by 10 AM. And I said, what's this is the first time this has ever happened to me in my entire life. I've been trying to just sit down and do what I wanna do since I was a child and had you know, my first like homework assignment. And it's okay, okay. That, that's not gonna happen again. And it happened the next week and the next week and the next week. And so I don't know how long it took me. I wanna say it was about a month when I had this crazy you know, Sunday of like unceremoniously sitting down and doing my work. I wanna say it was about a month after I started, but I don't know the exact date, unfortunately. I'm gonna have to go back and see if I can find it, like in my records. <laughs>
1: Nice. Um, so do you think this diet is kind of for everyone with ADHD? Um, do you see like what kind of symptom improvement do you typically see kind of, or does it, I mean, I guess it kind of depends on the person, but um, do you think it's for everyone on, that has ADHD or?
0: Yeah, to be honest, there are few people that I wouldn't recommend it to Like the only type of person that I, I maybe would be like, I wouldn't work with them. I would refer them to somebody else, would be somebody who is um, severely anorexic, who right now is struggling to put weight on. I would see if we could just get that kind of stabilized first before we, you know, and I wouldn't do it. I would refer them to someone else. Um, other than that, yeah, I would say I, I think everyone should be on it. And um, in terms of the improvements, I mean, they they do seem to be relatively, relatively uniform form by that. I mean, people are, are able to do what they want to do more, which is kind of like the thing that that most of us can't do with ADHD. Like, it's like you planned your day, you made your to-do list and you did it. So that's like kind of the biggest thing. And that's the one that people go, oh, wow, I did it one. Um, there's kind of this, it's, I hesitate to use the word anxiety because it's not necessarily anxiety, but there's this feeling that a lot of us express that we have, which is just this kind of nervousness constantly. It's not a fearful kind of nervousness. It's just this kind of like mm, this kind of low grade jittery nervousness that a lot of us feel that we have. Yeah. That tends to go away with the diet that's gone away from me. Um, in my case, it's uh, social situations have been easier. I'm not a shy person, but for some reason in social situations, I had this kind of tendency to just get very nervous. I don't know if it's because there's so much stuff going on. I'm paying attention to 20 different conversations okay. at the same yeah. time kind of thing. But now in general, when I go to parties and stuff, I feel pretty calm. I feel like I'm actually breathing. So um, so that and um, the overall kind of emotional piece of it that people that I work with notice that their emotions, you know, we are still a little dramatic sometimes, but that we're not, you know, on this emotional roller coaster where we just feel completely out of control. Um something sets us off and we can't recover for it for a whole day or two days, that tends to go away. Um and um impulsivity tends to go away too. So that like um somebody says something and you have that little millisecond where you breathe and you say maybe i shouldn't say the mean thing i want to say to them oh, okay. i've noticed that that that's that's greatly reduced which is really great because um that tends to get us in trouble with the mouth just oh, saying yeah. something and later like why didn't i just hmm? zip it um so uh the the lip zipping ability has also been improved is something that i've noticed
1: Oh, nice, nice. Um, I think that's kind of about all the questions that I have, and that um, you kind of provide me. Is there anything else you kind of want to add or, or talk about briefly? Or
0: um, well, I just want to add that um, kind of the common like um, you know, objection that I hear when I tell people about this is like, oh my god, I can't, I can't do this. I can't give up bread. I can't give up sweets. Oh my god, like I just, I can't. I simply can't do it. And so, okay, really, like really, I understand. Cause I was like that too. I was a big time sugar addict bread. Oh my God. During the pandemic, I was making loaves of bread and eating them by myself. I get it. Um, but try if you can try it. No one says you have to do it for forever. Um, try it. Can you try it for a week? Can you try it for two weeks and, and see, or three weeks, um, and and see if you can make it past those first couple of weeks because those are going to be the hardest weeks and that's when you'll start to see a a change hopefully is around week two three four um so i would say to anyone who thinks it's just impossible is is just try it because really um there are so many benefits um to this way of eating and um you know we think it's extreme but i personally have after having you know made the switch i feel like it's extreme not to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what I would, uh, that's what I would kind of say about it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Thanks. Um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, I think you're the first guest I've had on in quite some time, cause I kind of took some, a break from the podcast, but I've done kind of my own episodes. Um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. It's really interesting to talk about you and, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it. Kind of the paleo diet, although, um, I don't have ADHD, but it's nice to hear your perspective and and everything. And, um, you know, I I believe you're also your primal health coach. I I think Mark Sassone's program. Um, right?
0: I did, what I did with them was I'm a certified, and I always mess this up, it's like the most complicated name of a certification, and I'm getting nervous just thinking about it. Um, I'm a certified functional therapeutic diets specialist. I did it, okay. Um, nice, and that's yeah. through the Primal Health Coach. So oh, yeah. that was that was a certification program that um, uh, was, you know, dealing with diets that have a therapeutic purpose. And so um I did that certification through through the primal uh, health coach coach institute is a really amazing program. I recommend it to anybody, um, whether you want to do this professionally or not. Um and then I'm also certified as a as an all-around holistic health coach. Okay. Um and in August I'm going to be studying with Dr. Georgia Eid. She's one of the like, oh my God, I don't even know what word to use for her. She's one of the like geniuses in in this space for, um for keto for mental health. She's like one okay. of the nice, nice master so let's say and so i'm going to be studying with her in august i can't wait i wish it were august now but (laughs) only only six more weeks and then i'll be studying with her too so um so yeah so that's kind of my um my formal education in the in the healthcare sphere yeah okay nice nice
1: yeah uh yeah thanks for coming on and um episode might be on or might be a few weeks before i get uploaded or anything but thanks for coming on and everything
0: Oh, thank you for having me. It was great talking with you and and hearing you know and in, your insights about this too because I know that you know quite a lot about this too. So it's good to talk to somebody who knows about this stuff. Yeah. Um. And are you um are you are we stopping the podcast now? Or like oh the yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Sure. Okay okay. <laughs> um. Are you currently um? You're currently working as a health coach, right?
1: Um. Yeah. Kind of. I'm kind of. Um. I'm trying to kind of find my niche, uh-huh. and everything. But, cool. but yeah.
0: Cool. cool, cool. Um, and um, are you interested in mental health or?
1: Um, I kind of, um,